we are by ourselves isolated, we are not just more anxious and more depressed, although that is true, that we're like the loneliest generation, like the loneliest people ever to exist on the planet. When you expand your perspective on this problem, it's not just because being by yourself makes you anxious. The question then is why does that make me more anxious or why does it make me more depressed? And if you really keep like unlayering that answer, we get down to uh, themes of survival, that I don't feel like I'm going to be okay, or that I don't think that my existence matters. Yes, it's very deep. So the, so the information I'm getting about being able to be consistently, predictably, and safely connected with other people gives me information about my chances of survival and the quality of my survival. Being alone is one of the top indicators that you will be hurt or die. I am Taylor Chandler. I'm a licensed therapist, host of this podcast, Boundaries and Grace, and leader of my practice, Reattach. My mission is to help you shift to secure attachment, uprooting anxiety and avoidance, replacing with clarity and peace. You will shift. talk about how attachment develops. A lot of times we want to, we're focused on how to get out of the mess that we're in, but I want to help you to understand how you got in it. Sound good? Okay, we'll try to keep it under 30 minutes. That's the goal for the new season. Four different parts of this video. Attachment bases, concepts of self and other, programming, and intervention. So first up, what is an attachment base? Your attachment style begins developing immediately. By age five, we're able to define what type of attachment style that child has. So it was no different for you. When, by the time you were age five, there was a way that you were relating to others that we could define with an attachment style. After age five, your attachment style continues to be reinforced through your experiences, your interactions and relationships with other people but it can change with intervention. But we're gonna rewind the tape to the beginning, to the beginning of when, how, and where attachment first develops. Attachment begins in childhood, beginning with the experiences with your caretakers, especially your parents. Some synonyms for caregivers are caretakers, uh, guardians, bases, okay? I'm going to call these people an attachment base. I like that language better than attachment figure. And I like that language better than caretaker. Um, but we're saying the same thing, okay? So starting in childhood, you have attachment bases. And from those bases is where we develop attachments. Simple enough so far. Your base gives you information about yourself, others, and the world based off your experiences with them. First question someone usually has is, what if one or both of my parents weren't around uh, or they were there, but not really there, meaning like they were physically present, but mentally and or emotionally absent? And that's a great question. So thank you for asking. Here's the answer. Parents always matter, okay? Whether they were there in parts or they weren't there at all, your relationship with that absence is important and is also giving us information. Um, you received messages in their absence, you received messages about yourself, about others, and also about the world. 
for example, you had a parent who wasn't there, however they weren't there, and the message that you received led you to wonder, who can I count on? And how often can I count on them? And how do I know that I can count on them? What are the signs that tell me that I can count on them? What are the signs that tell me that I can't? You can see like how, how deep you can go with just a simple statement, seemingly simple sounding experience that someone wasn't there. We can receive all of these messages and develop concepts of ourselves based on that not-thereness, that nothingness, that gap, that void. Okay, ooh, I feel like we're gonna get into that. It's a little bit deeper. A little bit later but i just wanted to address that because that's a super common question that someone has if a parent one or both was there in part or not there at all physically mentally and or emotionally so even someone not being there has an effect on your experience of yourself and relationships so everyone has a base because everyone all of us came from somewhere came from someone okay some ones actually there are two and that's oh that's a that is an episode in and of itself Oh my gosh. Okay. So rather than um, if a, I get excited, rather than if a base was there or not there, a better question is what is the quality or nature of that base? In attachment world, you'll become familiar with the quality of secure bases and the quality of insecure bases. What makes someone the base? What makes someone secure? What makes someone the base insecure, okay? So a base in and of itself does not necessarily mean that it was a good base, a secure base, a base, a safe base. Base is rather speaking to the position that someone has in your life, not necessarily how well they played their position. Bars. And why do we need to know about them? Why do we need to know about these people in the past? Because through examining those experiences, interactions, relationships, I can start to uncover my own patterns and motivations, why I do the things that I do in relationship whether platonic or romantic or both, I can start to uncover my own patterns, my motivations behind my thoughts and behaviors. I will start to see the quality of myself as a secure or insecure person. Okay. So you can take your car to the shop and know you have a problem, but based on what the car is doing, the mechanic knows then where to put his or her hands. So when we start to examine our relationships, we're then able to see, okay, based off what has come up out of those relationships, I can see where I need to put my hands to fix the problem, to fix the car, to fix your attachment, to shift from insecure to secure. I'm gonna highlight three big pieces of information that you're getting from your base, regardless of whether it was secure or insecure. Number one, you're getting information about yourself. We learn who we are through how others behave towards us, how others talk to us make and make us feel, especially as children. As a child, you're developing your sense of self through adults, especially with parents. You're developing answers to questions like, am I lovable? Am I likable? Of course, children, babies are not thinking in that language. It's the way that child is interacting, the experience that our interactions are creating that helped me to answer that question, even though it's not, I'm not answering it as a child, you're not answering it like in this very verbal way. We don't have the concept of it, we don't have the language for it, but you are answering the question. Hope that makes sense. 
How am I to know that? Do you pick me up? Talk to me, speak to me in a tone that I naturally like, that soothes me. There are literally, literally studies on the effect of the tone of voice that a person's using with the child and how the child then responds. I'm answering the question, how do I get attention? Because how I get attention is how I get my needs met. Is my parent proactive about my needs or reactive? Do I have to reach for you as child, reach for you, cry for you in order for you to attend to me? Or do you on your own take the initiative to do that? Is anyone already starting to make that connection between childhood and adulthood? It's good, okay? Do I have to have a tantrum to get you to notice me? It's deep, okay? It's deep. Again, you're not actually like conceptualizing these things as a child. As a matter of fact, it's not until we come upon something like attachment styles that we even develop the language. And so even if you're just now learning the language for attachment, I think that I'm going to trust that there's a part of you, call it your intuition, there's a part of you that's like, hmm, that knows that these questions have always been getting answered throughout your life. Okay, so you're getting information from your attachment base about yourself. Who am I? Second piece of information that you're getting from your attachment base, exploration. And this is definitely not an exhaustive list, y'all. I tried to whittle this down to some really big areas, okay, that I think, are, that I think covers, a, covers a lot of grounds. Exploration, exploring others, being curious about others, a level of comfort or discomfort with it a willingness to engage with others or not. You're developing a sense of that. How safe is it to explore or connect with others? When you have a secure base, you develop a sense of safety that allows you to leave base, explore the world, explore relationships, and come back to base. Let's make that sound more real, more human. If I know that, um, that I've got someone in my corner. I know that I got someone in my corner. I know that I've got someone looking out for me, supporting me. If something were to go wrong, I have a strong sense I've got high confidence that if something were to go wrong or if I were to if I were to experience pain of some sort, whatever that might mean to you, that I would be able to come back to the secure base and there would be a level of comfort there. Now what type of comfort, how the comfort comes out, it, that that's that's individual stuff. But do you understand the, the the concept of what I'm saying? One of the big things that allows me to explore out in the world is the confidence that if I go out that I'll be able to come back in and here you are. Okay? Um, the base doesn't move, that, and it, it doesn't change in these dramatic ways. There's a sense of stability, comfort, um, and consistency about the base. That doesn't mean that the, that the person is physically in the same place, like that you are literally going back to the same physical location to find that person there. We're talking about more of an emotional and mental presence, stability, and consistency. Although I could absolutely make a case that if the person is mentally and emotionally stable, predict, stable, um, predictable in a healthy way, consistent, that they are probably in the same area for extended times. That's just a normal manifestation of stability. Back to the point, exploration. Uh, when I have a secure base, I'm able to leave base and come back. I'm able to actually explore, not just um, tangibly explore the world, like physically move through the world and feel safer, but I also have a sense of emotional safety in exploring another person. 
okay? Answering the question, who are you? And actually able to take in, the, take in information about other people and safely integrate that into my life or make decisions about whether I should engage with this person or not based on real information that I got from really exploring the person. And I had the opportunity to really engage with this person and come to that kind of conclusion because even if it went wrong, I have a secure base that I can count on. Even if you let me down, I've got a secure base that I can go back to. I wanna I want help someone to understand this concept just a little bit more before I add anything to it. Can you intuitively see, because this is one thing I love about attachment science, attachment theory, is that it's very intuitive, it's very natural, because it's the way that we relate. I think about attachment, I'm getting on a little tangent here, but y'all know I get excited. I think about attachment like gravity, like gravity always existed, but then Isaac Newton put a definition on it, an equation, and that's like what attachment is. These dynamics, these ways of relating, whether insecure or secure, those are always here, but attachment theory puts the equation on it, helps us to define the thing that has always been happening. So can you reflect on that and consider, um, based on the quality of my attachment base, how might that, or anybody's attachment base, how might that affect the way that they engage with others, the way that they let people in or not, the way that they get to know people, the way that they are curious or standoffish when they're exploring new environments, how they handle the question, who are you? Let's move on. Third big piece of information, and then, we're, and then we'll move on to programming and intervention. Third piece of information that you're getting from your attachment base, attachment base. Am I going to be okay? I relate this to survival. How's that? You've heard like there's safety in numbers. Being connected, securely connected to other people, being in healthy, consistent, predictable relationship with other people gives us a sense of survival that I, I am okay in this unpredictable chaotic world. We're going to do an episode about existentialism and how we are all managing anxieties like that. The am I okay? There's so many things I can't control. How do I, how do I manage that anxiety on a day-to-day -day basis? Anyway, that's like an existential conversation that I think is super fascinating and fun to have. But let me reel it in again. Being connected to other people in a consistent, predictable, healthy, secure way gives us positive feedback about our chances of survival, that there are people that are aware of me, that there are people who are looking out for me, that there are people who care about me, that there are people who can attend to me, that there are people who are concerned with me. I'm getting information from my attachment bases, my attachment figures about my chances of survival. That's men and women. We know intuitively and naturally, right? Turn on the animal planet, okay? Turn on the National Geo. We know that in hunting, that the strategy is to isolate, to, to get one to, to veer off from the rest of the pack. Translate that into your human relationships. It's the same principle that when we are by ourselves isolated, that we're not just more anxious and more depressed, although that is true. We've, seen, we've seen, been seeing these studies, right? that were like the loneliest generation, like the loneliest people ever to exist on the planet. It doesn't just stop at you're going to be more anxious or more depressed or report feelings of loneliness. When you expand your perspective on this problem, it's not just because being by yourself makes you anxious. The question then is why does that make me more anxious or why does it make me more depressed? And if you really keep 
like unlayering that answer, we get down to uh, themes of survival that I don't feel like I'm going to be okay or that I don't think that my existence matters. Yes, it's very deep. So the, so the information I'm getting about being able to be consistently, predictably, and safely connected with other people gives me information about my chances of survival and the quality of my survival. Being alone is one of the top indicators that you will be hurt or die whether it's because you can't sustain yourself or because you're vulnerable to predators. And we're not usually thinking about our human relationships in that big of a, um, with those huge themes of life and death, but I am absolutely making a case, and we're gonna talk about this in the existential episode for sure, I'm absolutely making a case that one of the reasons that we're so anxious and depressed when relationships go bad is because of this core, um, fear of death, anxiety about survival. So you're getting information from attachment figures about am I going to be okay? Or how, and if I am, how okay am I? Based on the the presence and then the quality of the relationships that you have. A little recap, what am I getting from my attachment basis? Who am I? Because I'm developing my sense of self. Who are you? Is it safe to explore the world and how do I engage others? Am I going to be okay? Will I survive? We're still trying to get at the same questions of am I gonna be okay? Who are you? Who am I? How do I get my needs met? How do I get attention? Um, How do I show love? How do I receive love? We all want to be getting feedback that we're going to be okay and that we will survive. When we're getting negative feedback, in other words, I'm not okay, we act out trying to make it okay, trying to get okay. I'll say that another way. When I'm feeling unsafe, I feel insecure. When I'm feeling insecure, I become charged, anxiety or avoidance. I'm nervous that things are not okay and I am not okay, that we're not okay. Just like a baby acts out when they have a need that is yet to be met, adults who have not gotten a hold of their attachment style, adults act out when there's a need that they have, that we have, that's not getting met. And we have not developed the emotional muscles and the mental muscles to be able to manage that conflict within ourselves, the conflict that is also happening with us and other when that need is not met. In insecure attachment, we're not managing the conflict well. In secure attachment, we are. As a child, you learned things about you and others, whether it was accurate or inaccurate. You learned what about you was okay, what was acceptable or not. You learned whether you could basically trust people or not, and what you could or could not trust them with. The list goes on and on. Um, Let's just call them concepts. You developed concepts about things like trust, things like safety, concepts about relationships, concepts about love. Okay, does that make sense? Rather than naming everything that you could learn in those kinds of categories, we're gonna say that you develop concepts of these things, which includes everything that it could be. So you develop a concept of yourself, others in the world that you're now playing out in adulthood, call it programming, okay? You're running a program, use it as a metaphor, okay? Your attachment style is essentially a program of relating. It's a pattern that of relating to yourself and others. Your attachment style is a program that you've developed based on the input you got from the environment and experiences. So, so based on the input you got from the environment, the experiences that you had or didn't have, and by experience that you didn't have, I mean, for example, um, 
someone didn't show up to your football games as a child. Uh, that is an input that you got, right? I didn't show up. That's some, now, now in my code, in my coding, um, I can't count on people to show up for me. Your attachment style develops based on the inputs that you got from the environment, your relationships and experiences. And then you run that program in adulthood. So that program leads you into your adult relationships, your output. And when you have insecure attachment, those relationships are always difficult, unstable, inconsistent, painful, um, non-reciprocal, non-mutual, um, exhausting, things like that, because that's the nature of an insecurely, atta in, an insecurely attached relationship. Okay, someone's always running, someone's always chasing, or you flip-flop, you're orbiting around each other, you can't quite relax in love together. That's the output, that's the natural output of insecure experiences that um, created a program that you're now playing out in adulthood. Here's another example of the, of the um, attachment input and attachment output. I only got loving attention when I achieved something. I only got praise when I was productive and successful. The input is praise for achievement. The output could be overcompensating, overdoing, overworking, overvaluing accomplishments. So high on the functional side, I'm able to do a lot, but I can, I might be low on the relational side, low, maybe lower emotional intelligence or the quality of my relationships isn't as deep as it could be or that I would like it to be because I'm focused on more of the functional achievement side and I can be great at that, but my relationships lack that same level of quality or production relational production, like love and affection. That's why I can say, ooh, that sounds like an episode right there. Like, ooh, relation, relationship um, product, ooh, relational productivity, I like that. All right, the input doesn't always create a certain output, and this is why it's important to go to therapy and talk to someone one-on-one. -on -one. This is what I mean. So I could have that same input, praise for achievement, but my output might not be overcompensating, overworking, and being a super high achiever. My output instead might be I'm, I feel paralyzed and stagnant. I feel afraid of never doing enough, or I resent people, I resent um, accomplishment, and I resent achievement because it reminds me that I'm not enough as I am. Being praised for achievement, what you do rather than who you are, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to continue to be a super high achiever. It can also come out in another dysfunctional way, okay? So that's important, and that's why I always tell people you cannot just read a book about this stuff because arbitrary, arbitrary attachment information is helpful to an extent, but you really need to be able to know you and your patterns, your history, and how you've internalized those experiences that created certain outcomes in your individual life. Speaking of y'all, finally, the intervention. The program that you're running will keep running until you rewrite the code and reboot, okay? Attachment is just another, is, is another thing that you have learned, need to unlearn and relearn in order to get the result you want. A lot of us have heard that in different contexts, right? So now we're talking about it in terms of your relationships. You're running a code that needs to be rewritten and you need to reboot the system and you'll have different outcomes. So this is where therapy and attachment coaching comes into play. If you wanna work with me, we can work together one-on-one. -on -one. There's a link that's gonna be in the description. Regardless of what you do or don't do, this is the truth. If you don't intervene on your program, 
if you do not intervene on your attachment style, it will affect your romantic relationships, your relationships with your children, your relationship with your friends, your family relationships, your, your insecure attachment style will affect your relationships if you don't change it. Because essentially an insecure attachment style demands that you handle conflict poorly, demands that you handle your triggers poorly. It demands that you slice off parts of yourself because you haven't found a way to make all core parts of yourself acceptable regardless of the other person's response. An insecure attachment style demands that at least some of the parts of you live on mute because you're still working on the old, old code that has negative concepts of self, of others, and the world. Regardless of how it shows up, it will show up until it is intervened upon Attachment style starts at a young age, but it can change at any age as long as you just make the decision to do it. And, and although you can change it at any age, it gets harder to change at later ages, Juliet, because just like anything else, it gets more embedded in us as we go without intervention. So the sooner you can get on it, the better. It can change as long as you are willing to step forward, okay, and do it. Reach out, get started. 2024 does not have to be like the others. All right, y'all, that is the episode. Y'all, I'm on YouTube now. You can head on over there, subscribe to the channel, watch these episodes on video. I am Taylor Chandler on YouTube. Click those stars if you have not already. A rating on Apple is super helpful. A review, a sentence or two. We love that. Thanks, y'all, for your support. I'll see you next week.